Hey, welcome to the 183rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Kip Adler and Christopher Weil. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Adam. Today we've got Joseph Cross and Audrey Tomasini, the director and producer of Summer Night. You'll recognize Joseph from such films as... So Joseph Cross has done a ton of stuff that you've probably seen. He had a big arc in Big Little Lies. He was the kid in Running With Scissors. He's in Milk. He's in Lincoln. He's worked with a ton of very exciting filmmakers. And he's taken all, including previous guest, Justin Lerner. And he's taken a lot of uh, that insight and experience and distilled it into his first feature, Summer Night, which he directed and produced with his wife, Audrey. So they're here together to talk to us about the roller coaster of an experience making their first feature is. We all hear the war stories where everyone's in the trenches. This is a real doozy. Maybe the most perilous one we've heard in, in at least a while. But it starts with these highfalutin Hollywood auspices. Uh, you know, Joseph's been in a ton of great movies. He knows a ton of awesome he, actors. He knows a ton of awesome people. So he starts at the top of his game. Uh, and the movie turns out great. Everything works out. That's just no spoilers. But. It was a really hard road that they traveled down. And so we really dig in on all of the things that they wish they'd done differently and all of the different you know trials that they ran through. It's a real treat, this one. It's also another installment in our actor-turned-director series. We've been our, our hashtag JSI acting intensive. We're really enjoying it. We've been talking to a ton of great actors. And this is uh, yet another one in that lineup. Yeah, and and his movie also has like an amazing cast, like Justin Chatwin from Shameless, Annalie Tipton from Hung, Victoria Justice from Victorious Disney or Nickelodeon show. She's just uh, a very well known in uh, to a certain segment of society. He has Eller Coltrane, the lead from Boyhood. Yeah, so I don't know. It's really interesting. I really loved it because it's like the top agencies in Hollywood and also the bottom of the barrel of indie filmmaking that they had to deal with. Yeah. They just, take us through that story. It just goes to show making movies is difficult. Is difficult. <laughs> I also really love talking to them about just directing. And, you know, Joe has worked with some of the best directors in Hollywood, Spielberg, Jean-Marc Vallée, and a bunch of other amazing ones. And what he's learned from them is really interesting. And we get, we touch on that as well. So, so before we hop into it, just want to remind everybody, you go to justshootitpod.com slash live, you can get tickets to our up and coming live show. We're doing one October 20th here in Los Angeles at Rita House. We're putting together an awesome panel of genre directors. So this is like our Halloween. What is a genre director? I'm you curious, know, Matt. I'm being a little vague about it. We'll have a handful of horror people, maybe a little sci-fi, and, you know, just thriller. Thriller. Yeah, exactly. Suspense. It's not just like slasher films is what I'm getting at. I want to kind of like mix it up. But in the kind of um, pulpy, fun, you know, genre sort right. of Not drama, not comedy. Not drama. Yeah, exactly. Everything else. Sci-fi, thriller, horror, basically. Genre is, to me, it's like everything minus dramedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to be super fun. You know, we're going to pull out all the stops. It's our Halloween extravaganza, and it's October 20th here in Los Angeles. So grab a ticket, just shoot a pod.com slash live. 
You'll have pizza, we'll have beer. It's also my birthday party, pretty much. Basically the same thing. So yeah, see everyone there. And one final thing I want to add is that we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. I finally mailed out the hats today, Matt. Hope you're happy. Oh, thank you. I was going to mail them out much earlier, but apparently the boxes don't fit into the the mailbox. <laughs> you have to go into the post office to mail them. But if you go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod, you will be able to help throw a few bucks towards the podcast, help support us if you like it, if you feel like it added something to your life, if you feel like you got a tip that you used on set or it made you decide to not move to LA. Or you- if you just want to go to the live show and you don't want to pay the ticket price. Oh yeah, that will also do it. Also- because even if you are a patron at the $1 level, you get into the show for free. Yeah, uh, kind of. And then also, if you're a patron at the $10 level, you get a Just Shoot It hat, which is just an amazing hat to wear on set because you don't need to say anything. When people say, uh, Mrs. or Mr. Director, what should we do now? You just point to her hat. Just and, shoot it. Yeah, and the answer is there. I was, Anyhow. I was thinking, actually, should we, as an add-on to if you get a ticket, should you be able to say, hey, I want to purchase a Just Shoot It hat? Yeah, I think that is an excellent idea. If you are interested in buying a hat, let us know, and we will sell you one. We'll have them handy. For very good deals. Yeah. Without any further ado, let's talk to Joseph Cross and Audrey Tomasini. Okay, we are here with Audrey and Joseph. Thanks for coming, guys. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So you guys made a movie. We did. Yeah. Yeah. is it, it has it come out yet? Yeah, it was released on July twelfth by Samuel Goldwyn. Oh right, right. How's Sam? He's yeah. nice out here, right? <laughs> He's around yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it came out in ten cities, ten screens, um, and on VOD the same day. And oh, now cool. it's on iTunes and Amazon and everywhere else. You get your your movies. That was a really quick plug for my movie. Like yeah, not no. even one minute in. Hey man, that's the idea, right? Here we <laughs> yeah. Are. Cool. And it's called Summer Night, right? Summer Night. Because it all takes place during one summer night. That's cool. And mm-hmm. this is, it's one of those kind of classic, like young people ensemble group sort of stories, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, takes place in Austin. No, uh, it takes. Oh, no, pardon me. Sorry. No, it takes. So it, it was originally Austin, written right? for yeah. cool. Chico, yeah. California. Oh, that's funny. Are that you was, from Chico? No, I'm not from Chico, but the writer, Jordan Jolliffe, went to ah. uh, school at Chico sh- sh- State. So that was where it was meant to take place, but we couldn't shoot it there because we couldn't afford to shoot it in California. So we went to Noonan, Georgia, and there's uh, the only real indication of where it is is you see a California license Mm -hmm. plate um, at the the top of the movie. That makes sense. So you obviously have been an actor, Joe, for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Why the the switch to direct? I mean... I guess the maybe the first question is like, are you kind of making a transition into directing or is this kind of just something you're doing along with acting? Uh, yeah. So I, um, I started writing and I was working on a script um, that wasn't very good. And uh, my friend Lucas Evans was working on a movie called The Circle, James Ponsoldt's movie. And Lucas said, you know, you should, you should let James's writing assistant, Jordan Jolliffe, read your script and maybe he can help you and Whatever. So Jordan very graciously read that and gave me a lot of notes and helped. And I said, you know, if there's anything you have that you want me to read, let me know. And so he said, Wait, what does this writing assistant do? What is a writing What does a writing assistant do on set? Yeah. That's a good question. Or, or does James like write the script and or then maybe he just it's has like, someone in the room with like him? Like come up with some ideas. ideas or maybe it's like just an assistant who happened to be a writer. Maybe or is the he position typing? is just. I, I think there are those 
both of those positions certainly exist. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So when I did Lincoln, um, Tony Kushner's writing assistant, Antonia, was like very much a, like I think she was like a writing associate. Like you mm-hmm. know, so she did a lot of They're the doing research for real him. writing is involved. Uh, in that, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if that's actually writing like scenes, mm-hmm. but it is like breaking things down and research materials and presenting that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Pitching probably a little bit as well to the, you know, capital W writer, you know, in that case. Well, yeah. it's interesting because, you know, like composers, they're like a lot of times barely composing. They'll comp- write like the main theme for a movie and then they'll have like their, they have their camps like Hans Zimmer and John Williams have oh, like, interesting. like dozens of people that work for them and they write all the like, oh yeah, they added this like little comedic scene. Can you just like write something? And then, they just kind of approve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, with writers, you, in features, like you always think of like, oh, this is the person that came up with the idea, pitched it, got it approved, sat down, wrote, typed it into in, the computer, and they did it by themselves. Uh, but, you know, there, I guess there are like people sure, that have these assistants. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I mean, I wasn't on the circle and I don't, I don't know how they work together, mm-hmm. but. Um, but so that's how I met Jordan. And then he sent me the script for summer night, which I thought was great. And I thought, you know, you could make this on a budget and it's interesting and it's warm and it's emotional and it, you know, struck me and stuck with me for whatever reason. And so at first I thought that I was just going to try to help him get it made, like from a producing perspective. And, Mm -hmm. and when he showed it to you, did he have like a part for you or how did he present it? We were just kind of kicking material back and forth, just like, you know, getting to know each other and getting to know each other's work and we were just kind of like becoming friends and like having a creative conversation really yeah there was no i mean if if he did have a part for me in mind that you know he didn't say that um it was just a script living on his desktop i mean it wasn't like anything was happening Mm -hmm. he was just like hey i wrote this would you read it and it happened to kind of strike you know joe and joe was like well and this was in the midst of you working on your own script and getting yeah. notes from him. Right, yeah. So then, um, so I thought like, oh, well, maybe I can help you produce this. Like maybe I can, whatever, figure out a way to like find you a director and put things together. And there was actually a great music video director that we talked to for a little while that it didn't end up working out with. And then I just got deep enough into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working on Big Little Lies at the time and watching Jean-Marc Vallée work. And I just had this moment where I thought like, oh, I want to direct this. Like, I think I know how to tell this story. And so... Jordan was cool with that. And, you know, I said, we should see if we could get your boss to be our executive producer because that could help kind of get things moving. So we sent it to James and, you know, waited for him to get done with the edit and whatever. And eventually he was like, sure, yeah, whatever you guys, whatever you need. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then, I mean, and then it To took be like, an executive producer, you guys. So yeah. nice, right? Sure, yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> sure, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Wait, so he basically, as an EP, he kind of, helped kind of lend his uh his name to yeah. to get it made to get it get it cast and get it financed yeah that's right yeah just basically lent his name and said sure like I, you know i'm james ponsold and yeah. i approve yeah. this Stamped. movie yeah. right. don't you think yeah. like a good business idea is to find people that have the same names as like famous people <laughs> and then be like hey we got james ponsold you know like because it, literally at the end of the day, it's like just like this stamp of approval from this mm-hmm. person that has this name, but You'd they're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's fraud. <laughs> I think that's fraud. Yeah. I think it's misrepresentation. I mean, Quentin I T. We got Quentin T. He's uh, not a lawyer. I guess you couldn't list credits afterwards, which might be a problem. <laughs> no, I'm saying it would be illegal because you'd find like the person that has the exact same name. 
Right. And just say, you know, yeah. just give them 10 bucks. Listen, let them Google it. Like, right? do you remember? Draw their own conclusions. I think Taco Bell did this campaign where they found like a hundred people in America named Ronald McDonald. And oh, they just God. had them like eating tacos and being like, this is so good. <laughs> That's really fun. Wow. That's, yeah. yeah. So then how did you decide to direct it? So, uh, so yeah, like I said, I just sort of had this film where I was like, okay, you know, I think I should direct this. And then um, Jordan was game. And then um, James and I are at the same agency. And so I sent it over there and they were interested in it. And then I had, you know, I started like talking to people who were friends of mine, like Justin Chatwin, um, other people that I didn't know personally, but were at the same agency, like Eller Coltrane. And we put a, a cast together and then we took it out for financing and like nobody wanted to make it. So hold on. So on this show, we do a lot of like pumping the brakes, right? Like sure. there, there was a lot of like really interesting uh, information that you just threw. Yeah. At us. But so I want to ask. Phone calls. Yeah, yeah. A lot of phone calls, right? Yeah, a lot of but, phone meetings. But I think a lot of people will be curious about like the logistics and the actual, you know, mm-hmm. uh, nitty gritty of that. So yeah, you yeah. said you, you put, so you're at this agency, right? Yep. Um, is it just phone calls? Is it copies? How are you really like when you say you put together this cast? Well, walk us through that a little Especially bit. Especially when you when you get like an actor that you don't know personally, right? You're saying like, "Hey, trust me to direct this movie. It's going to be my first movie." Joe you know? has the added advantage, I think, of having a wonderful relationship with UTA mm-hmm. and having like really big agents really like him, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is like like they just, vouch for him as. Well, as a creative I remember person. one agent at a party, I forget what the context was exactly, but she was like, use the agency, Joe. Use us to the full ab- ability that we can be used. And I think you took that really to heart. Like, it seemed like after <laughs> I, that you I were did. like, I'm going to do I was like, oh, that. I could just send anything to anybody? And they're right. like, well. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Um, so there's an agent named Ryan Muckenthaler who was on the desk of my agent Teresa Peters and he was mm-hmm. an assistant and he became an agent and he showed up to the premiere of Justin Lerner's movie The Automatic Hate mm-hmm. like to support Previous me guest, Justin. as yep. an uh, actor in that and Jordan Jolliffe and my friend Lucas Evans who's one of the EPs on the movies while well, we're there and so we just sort of flanked Ryan and we were like hey this is what we want to do this is the movie at that point I already had decided I th- I think I decided I wanted to direct it at that point. Um, and, and sorry, just to make sure we're clear here. So Ryan was, had he been promoted already? Yes, he had he just been promoted. Just been promoted, which is an important thing, right? Because that means he doesn't have his own client base that he's representing. Correct, right. So he's right. hungry. Yes, right? so he's like going on to teams of people mm-hmm. who he had a prior relationship with, like, you know, me and whoever else, as well as, I imagine, searching for new clients and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So he read it and really liked it. Um, and, you know, kind of strapped it to his back over there and started hustling it with me. So, you know, I would, um, you know, go through like IMDb pro, mm-hmm. you know, you can buy sure. it for a hundred dollars, uh, yeah. a, a year and uh, 50 you know, if you do it in January, really, <laughs> yeah, you get a little, little bonus there. Yeah. Oh, that's good, good to know. know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I need to re up. I'm going to wait till January. Yeah. Wait till January. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I would sort of. To, to begin, I would like look through their roster and see who was right um, for which parts. And, you know, obviously they didn't have enough people to play every single role. But like in the case of Eller Coltrane, I was like, this person is perfect for this part. And they're at your agency. And there's somebody I think that, you know, if you put them in your movie, that could be, you know, mm-hmm. cool and exciting in a way that's not just creatively works. Right. But, you know, how 
You've and in the back together. of your head, I'm sure you're thinking like, oh, I met this agent at this party or like they're friends of someone else or sure. things like that. There's a right. little bit of that calculus to it. Right. And so right? then you send it to their agent and their agent says, oh, yeah, I like this. And, you know, after a couple of people say that, I think I imagine over at an agency, it's like sort of gets a, yep, we all collectively agree this is mm-hmm. decent enough that, you know, we'll send it to people. And I think. Um, and are you sending like a paragraph or a treatment or a pitch or like a I'm short film you made or anything. a script and a letter like a script and a and a personal note to to that actor. to whom right and your letter to, says like dear macaulay um i would like to you know yeah it's this part you know like dear eller like this is how i see the role this is like what i've seen of your past work and why i think you would be right in the role like you know would you get on a call with me and let me sort of you know, talk you through it a little bit more. And so... I love that, though. That last little line of just, like, something clear and direct, but also not something that's a huge uh, commitment, you right. know? Like, yeah. a phone, well, call, a phone yeah. call, you're a jerk if you say no to a phone call, well, right? because I usually <laughs> say, like, right. I, meet me in Hawaii uh, yeah. for one week of discussions. Yeah. And people usually turn me down. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the case of Eller, you know, he just, he read it and he liked it and we got on well enough during the phone call that, you know, by the end of the call, he's like, cool, you know, I'm in, let me know. And so I think... And like, you don't have like a shoot date or money no, or No, at, at this point, we were just trying to like assemble a package, as they say, you know, like just trying to put, you know, James was our Godfather EP, trying to put some cast in it that would work uh, creatively that also might get... People. And you already had Justin. And no, I, I went to Justin a little bit later. I think I forget um, exactly who came in when, but I think Eller was the first person that came on board. Um, and we had like first kind of a different cast because in 2016, we like cast it up. And at the time, I wasn't really involved more than, I guess, being like a supportive spouse. And our well, Audrey friend, also created my lookbook. I did. Oh, are you I serious? Did Which was like. And is that something exceptional? That you- and we would send that as well, and people loved that, and it yeah. looked great. Oh, cool! What was in the lookbook? Like what? It was like kind of a like visual like palette wetter of like what are you gonna like experience? What are you gonna feel like really quickly and visually? So it was like some kids like in inner tombs going down the Russian River, like a postcard of it. Like it felt kind of nostalgic and like kind of basic text that just kind of brought you through the storyline and it worked like i i felt like we really worked on it and worked well together and yeah it seemed to kind of summarize and be a compliment to the script you know yeah and it for gave people you the that feel... need like the quibby version of reading a script mm-hmm. like they need a visual quick like the, okay the quick bite version the, the quick bite yeah <laughs> exactly content exactly and um, did you have like characters like yeah, I did like kind of character with the actors we wanted. Mm-hmm. So we had Eller at the time. So I put Eller and kind of did like character pages. So it showed, you know, like, I feel like it had like a kind of quick sentence about the character and what they wanted, basically. Like, what mm-hmm. was their motivation? But more tonal than it was. It was really all walking. meant to be yeah. tonal. So yeah. like you could mm-hmm. almost like wash your eyes over it and mm-hmm. get it. And you could also kind of read it. And it wasn't too many words. And it was very, like, visual. It It almost looked like a Tashin book. You know, the way that, like, you can kind of just, like, whip through pages and just feel like you're like, ooh, I'm getting something. I don't know what, but I'm getting it. So that was kind of what I was trying to go for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because I feel like we've actually heard that as 
a new trend in terms of lookbooks. It's much less about like walking people through things as well, like you, a pitch deck. It's right. yeah, you yeah. can't keep people's attention. And also, the point is, I I, I felt very strongly, especially because it was like a music movie and it was about friends, and we had really strong comps. Like we were comping to movies that were very identifiable, and you know, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Dazed and Confused, and like those have such strong kind of like audio visual reference you know yeah. so we could kind of like you say those two there. comps and you're yeah. like oh yeah you're i like, get oh, it yeah i get this yeah. movie yeah. exactly so it was well it, can i ask you yeah. did people ask because something i i run into when like i'm trying to think of comps and trying to pitch things and especially kind of bigger narrative projects is like it's kind of like this and it's kind of like this but it's its own unique special thing like how how do you pitch what's special about it you know yeah, I mean, that fast that's, times it's do. always that tricky thing, right? Everybody wants the same thing, but different. Um, so it's, I, you know, I, I don't know what the specifics of that were, but it was I like, mean, it's, I it's contemporary, like, right? right? It's contemporary. Yeah. We were right. like, you know, it's inspired by movies like It's American more about Graffiti, like millennials was more for maybe the what you could generation, say. Generation, you know. But I guess, you know, like, and it's a bit of a sales tool at the same time, you know, so it's not exactly what the movie's going to be, but like Audrey was saying, it's meant to evoke a specific feeling you know when you're flipping through it where you can see like okay th- i understand sort of what i would experience if i were right. watching this movie um so but what we did was we put a we put a cast together so like the f- i had a phone call with eller i forget um exactly how with chat when if i sat down with him or if i got on a call like people that were in town that were in la i would like sit and have coffee and you know you know and certain people took a little bit more to get on board, like, you know, sometimes I would have to get on the phone with the manager afterwards and talk them through things or, you know, send a couple of follow-ups to the agents. You also took um, people to the Chateau and had, like, you know, a $25 cup of coffee with sure. them. And it actually, yeah, yeah. I think, went pretty far, oddly. Like, there was something kind of, like, lovely about the classic Hollywood, you know, yeah. for the people that that was, like, fun. You're talking about you know? actors, not, you weren't taking, like, people reps or like no no no. but like meeting at the chateau like having it be it's tray fancy yeah Yeah. and it's very fancy but again it's only like 25 dollars exactly right Um, and also more than anything there you can just sit for like three hours and Mm -hmm. you know with your tea and sure you know and you can kind of feel in the walls that movies have been made here you Mm -hmm. know it gives you a platoon the vibe but like you know there was somebody and like audrey was saying we put together our first cast and then only certain people were available when we put the movie together again two years later. But right. like, you know, there was an actress that um, we got on great. We had like a three hour meeting and then she was like, I actually want to play this different part. And so Victoria justice, it wasn't Victoria. <laughs> um, and so I got on the phone with the agent. They're like, you know, she loved you, but she wants to play a different part. And I was like, you know, this is why that doesn't work for me. And here's why she works for this part. And blah blah whatever and then i went to bed and i like sprung up at like 145 in the morning and i was like is he gonna be able to like convey exactly what i said so i just wrote it all out in an email so that he could forward it and then you know and then she came on board too and you know so basically what happened is we put this first cast together we took it out and shopped it to companies that would like theoretically make a movie like this and do you know your budget at this point yeah yeah we did uh, or we knew what we want it and you're trying it's like time. a conservative budget right like you're paying people like scale-ish and yeah exactly that. it's it's what we it's like the shoestring that we thought we could do it on until we realized there was a way to make it even 
shoestringier. Um, <laughs> you have smaller feet, basically. R- right, yeah. yeah. And funny enough, we, we met with a company that said they would do it for close to what our actual budget was, but they couldn't see how to get the budget we had done down to that number. Um, so I think that if I knew uh, if I knew then what I know now, I would have been able to mm-hmm. parcel it back and get further. But I don't even know that I was totally ready to make the movie then. So anyway, it just kind of sat there. Like it was cast and we sent it to every company that in town that like maybe would have made it and uh, it didn't get made. And uh, we had Audrey's pregnant through that period of time. And then we had our daughter and I was just like, you know, the, the Seth Mel storyline sort of took on a new meaning for me. And I was just, would walk Amelia up and down uh, the, in the hills near our house, just thinking like, ah. Oh, Is that your I... daughter's name? Yeah, Amelia. Oh, that's my daughter's middle name. Oh, really? Yeah, it's named after our late dog, Emily. Um, anyway. <laughs> What's so, what, I, what I love about this story, though, that's so interesting, especially now that we know there's a happy ending of having made the movie, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that like, you know, uh, it's hard to make a movie. Right. It's very hard to make, especially your first movie. And I think that there are people listening at home who maybe are in a different market or like aren't as accomplished as you were when you first started making this movie, right? Like didn't have an acting career behind them, didn't have UTA, an agency. agency. Hadn't been on set for like hundreds of days. Seen like the best directors directing, doing it. And there's such solace in knowing like it's hard no matter what, guys. It is. It's super hard. You should try to get... Brad Pitt or Jake Gyllenhaal or somebody it's super famous hard. in your movie, and then you can make like a five million dollar. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> no. you know, then you still, but still, but it's seriously, still hard. I mean, I work at a movie. company now that makes multiple million dollars, like tens of millions of dollars of movies, whatever you say, and it's still hard. You still face the same. You know, you might not have the financial issues, but everybody's still kind of facing the same creative questions and like personality questions and the whole thing it's it's, it's well, making a movie is a risk yeah it's like a birth it's, very it's like you, it's like there's something traumatic that has to happen that like gets you to the other mm-hmm. side so you two literally so gave, gave birth, birth to, <laughs> well, to I a person give birth. <laughs> well as a couple as i a very collective, much did not give you are birth. parents i guess is what yeah. i mean to yes. say right uh so uh, and yeah, then you were like let's like, get back on the horse th- let's well amelia was three months old and i ended up through a friend in new york meeting a producer out of atlanta and i sent her the script and she was like i love this let's try to figure out how to get this made and so she came out here and we met with a couple financiers or so they said yeah and this is where the, the plot thickens. They this said. Is yeah. where, this is where the plot thickens. So Who we, introduced you to the financiers? Um, our producing partner. Our producing partner, yeah. yeah. And she met them through, through friends. Through You know, yeah. we were just, the whole, as you do, you overturn every single rock. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have a conversation with somebody's uncle who thought maybe he might be interested, mm-hmm. like, just play it out. Always play it out. Like, there's nothing, the, the only risk you feel is, you know that you might feel a little bit foolish your 25 dollar cocktail you're gonna feel very foolish anyway you know a lot of times throughout the course of being your first movie did you ever shoot like a proof of concept or have or do any of those kind of middle middle steps to try to show people i didn't shoot a proof of concept and i didn't shoot a short and uh i actually got really good advice about not shooting a short they were like well if you shoot a short it has to go and win a bunch of things sure you know like it's almost better to not have it and to have the cast that you have than to have a short that didn't 
you know, win every Sun single festival. Whatever, yeah. Exactly. Right. I think because you had the cast. That you because had. you had the cast, yeah. right. If you right. didn't have the cast, a proof of concept might have helped you to get that cast. Um, but we use Audrey's lookbook as essentially the proof of concept. Um, so we met these two financiers. One um, was meant to come in for pre-production costs, and then the second was going to come in for the lion's share of um, of the budget. And Which, so, by the way, was under a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Still you know. scrappy. Yeah. Yeah, Very scrappy. scrappy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scrappier than, yeah. It, it was like, Six, like 60% of what we had wanted initially or something right. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Net, of course. And just yeah. SAG non-union, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Anyway, we we cast up again. Some people were still available somewhere. We went through the same rigmarole again, you know, with certain people that, you know, recasting, whatever. We set our start date. We did uh, an operating agreement for the LLC, which is something that we should definitely get into. Oh, yes. To warn people. I have some advice. Oh, good. Yeah. We have some advice. Serious advice. Should we just just do it now? Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. So what is an operating agreement? What is an operating? What is an LLC? What is business? (laughs) Basically, (laughs) if you get into business with somebody you don't know. You mm-hmm. and you sign like if you like start a podcast or something. No, like right. if you like go online and like s- and like get an LLC and like just innocently on the government website, sure, you sure. just type right. in a name, you Legal get a little, Zoom, you get a little email yeah. back. You don't Amelia's realize Toys Inc. Exactly, really innocent. Like you don't realize that it's it's very easy to do that. It's extremely difficult to parcel up something that then has value, like a movie mm-hmm. and the rights. And the ownership. And if, unfortunately, when you get involved with somebody who has malicious intent, you're in a position where they have legal rights. Mm -hmm. And you have to go through that system. And so we found ourselves basically in a position where we were, you never want to put your investor on your LLC. Right. right. You want them to be a party to it, right? Aren't there like operators or like... um like controlling members. There's like general like managing, partners and limited partners. Yeah, managing members and All then right, members. members. So like managing members are people who are originally on the LLC that own the the shares. And generally it's like your producer will own a portion of it and then your investors pool will own another portion. And so, so, so if you had to do it over again, for instance. So what we did guys was, moronically, yeah. this guy investor guy who actually didn't have any money and when i asked him for like proof of funds he showed me like a 12 million dollar like screenshot on his phone that was clearly fake not his right and um like a bank of america statement right so we went into like a law firm here and they were like okay so what do you want to do and we basically gave him half the movie without him having put the money in because he was one of the sole operators. Because he or was the, the financier, he right? Was the so financier. he was the yeah, yeah. We were under the under, We were. It was our understanding that he was going to fund the movie and therefore was going to own half, which is perfectly fine. You, sh- if somebody funds your whole movie, give them That's half great. of it. Yeah. But he didn't, and there was no provision did, if he didn't, fund. and there was no provision in it to say that he's in breach if he doesn't. And so the the only little bit of wiggle room was an asterisk next to his name and share that said it could be reducible by capital contributions. So any other investors would reduce his portion, which inevitably he never put any money in, so he actually so didn't have any shares. Right, but then there's also but things that say, you know, certain agreement. things need to be decided anonymously, so there's this gray area. 
can you bring in other investors without everybody agreeing to that mm-hmm. without so, his permission basically right. yeah. correct yeah so basically yeah. what happened was we had this first investor who we diminished his share by which was everybody was under the understanding that, that was going to happen we got down to noon in georgia you know we cast obviously and we started spending this money and you had your whole cast there mm-hmm. you're putting everyone well, up here yeah well first we went down for pre-production but yeah we were there to crewing up and getting ready to bring everybody down M- making the movie basically. making the movie yeah. Yeah, yeah. and full steam ahead. you know we yeah. were blowing through the pre-production financing as yeah. you do in pre-production and slowly this other chunk of money was not coming in and so i started like this is a second investor this is the second investor. Right. This is right. the guy who was meant to come in for the line. Who's like, I'm going to write you a check tomorrow. And yeah, exactly. Yes, it's in the he mail. And, saying, and you have things exactly, to focus stuff on. Exactly, like that. Right? He like kept saying, my you've got a movie to make, right? We've got a movie to make. stuck in South America. Right. My money's yeah, I can't get the it. thing. I can't get it into a U.S. bank, but don't worry. Right, it's and coming. And he would like, get on we're the phone with us. Through. It wasn't like we were being ghosted. It was so bizarre. It was like emails back and forth and... So anyway, so we got down there and slowly, you know, this money's not coming in. So actually during the first scheduling meeting, we hadn't um, been able to present SAG with the information they needed to show that we were fully funded. And we couldn't both get the camera package and do the SAG deposit with the money that we had left. So I put what was the first of nearly six figures on an American Express card to get the camera package and also started freaking out. Like, I'm like, wait, what is happening? Yeah, like You just saying that out loud freaked me out. It was, <laughs> I was like, like, s- like sick. Yeah. And, yeah. But, but, and you're not a producer at this point, Audrey. No, I'm basically like, I'm home with my daughter. Oh, you're not in Georgia. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm in Georgia. In the, in the, but the, we the had hotel like, or whatever. We yeah. had like a U-shaped. The Chateau Marmont of Georgia. Of of Noonan. Noonan. No. It was actually quite nice. But like we had a U-shaped like uh, townhomes that we rented. One was a production office. One was a housing unit. And they had, you know, a, a living area downstairs and then beds upstairs. And so we had people sleeping upstairs. And then we had the production office on the first floor. So we were all very close and like could just walk sure. around. And, so mm-hmm. right. you were at camp, basically. Mm-hmm. We were all at camp, which yeah. actually every movie is kind of like. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Let's it's be super real. fun. Yeah, fair yeah. Enough. It's like middle school camp. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so, yeah, no, I wasn't really involved. I was like, because I was an, I'm an artist. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll help in the art department. I made like some bumper stickers that had to be on cars and like did some like window decals and like was kind of just like yeah. kind of just doing it for fun Living and being up. involved. Sounds it was good. really nice. Yeah. It was but actually, probably sharing in Joe's stress as well. Sure. Yeah. And it really didn't dawn until on me until it did, which right. it was pretty stark. So, and, yeah, we were, I was like, all right, well, I, let's, let's get, let's put the Samex to work. Let's see how much money I can put on this thing. Yeah. And you I know. gave my like dinky little personal cars and we were just like, sure. But sure. Yeah. You know, until you can get your just money out of back. South America. Right. You'll just pay us back. It's all good. No worries. And then, you know, and then we missed payroll for the first week. From Sat. Yeah. We missed No, first we missed crew payroll. Crew payroll. And we were like, hey man, like this isn't cool. Like it's I don't yeah. care where your money's stuck. Like it needs to be here. Like right. this like, was the deal. I got rent to make. And he's the sole right. financier. At he's this the, point. supposed to be the well, sole. Well the, the other there were two. There were two. So than, the first person basically got us going and then the second was Right. And so anyway, this money's not showing up. So I email him and I'm like, hey, this isn't cool. Like, what's going on? And he sends me back sort of this like livid email. Like, the guy with the money makes the timelines and like, you can't force this and whatever. And then I was like, also, oh, this shit. guy didn't speak English. So, very certain he yes. didn't 
ever read the script. Mm-hmm. Like he certainly he, never read the script. He couldn't communicate even basic English, which is right. fine. Obviously, it doesn't matter. Right. And he had a translator, and like it was fine. But it was like th- there was a communication barrier. Right. <laughs> so we're on Google yeah. Translate. Yeah, yeah going like back trying and to forth. like write in Spanish, like so that we can get the nuance and like the information. Right. And it was it was very. And so he sends me back this email, yeah. and I'm like, oh, this is bad. Like this feels bad. But Wait, I'm do you like, think he was ever for real? No. I think this was the most elaborate scheme to get a selfie with Victoria Justice yeah. in the history of the world. Like, truly, to be like... Honestly, that's the mm-hmm. only Wait, did he come thing. to set? Yes. He, well, he no. tried. Well, he tried. He came to Georgia, and he brought some other guy who was supposed to actually come in for the money. But we had to put his daughter in the movie. But we had to put the uh, guy's daughter in the I movie like, as a featured extra, and then... But this was after, so basically like on Halloween of 2017, which I'll never forget because I made my daughter an adorable costume that basically I didn't even see her. I saw her in a turtle. It was so cute. I didn't even see her in it because we realized SAG shut us down. Day before Halloween. Day before Halloween, SAG shut us down. It was like, you have to stop. You have to stop. Like your actors can't go to set. It's it. It's over. Right. You haven't put the depositor. We just hadn't paid their payroll. So, you know, we hadn't paid them. Get under. And SAG, and God bless the unions, they've done amazing things, but they are hard. When, like, when it's time to when drop the hammer, they're oh, down. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've like, been a card holding SAG member since I was eight years old. Like, yeah. I've benefited tremendously. Too, like, it was, yeah, sure. it was <laughs> so humiliating and awful, obviously. Yeah. And, you right. know, but that's nice. I mean, even when you guys said earlier that you told your actors, like, hey. They were like, are you sure? Can we just show up? Can we yeah. just do it? And we were like, no. Like, absolutely not. Yeah. You cannot. Like, so at that point, I'm I was sure like. I'm sure you've profited from being on the other side. Of course. Sure yeah. And like, at that point, the, the first financier who had put in the initial amount of money who um, I had never even met in person, I had been calling him saying, hey, this other guy isn't putting the money in. Yeah. Like, you're, you're going to lose everything. Your money. Like, yeah, yeah. you're going to. We were on day eight of the shoot. Like, we don't have a movie. Like, you're, in production, like actors oh, on yeah. set. Day eight filming. of day filming. Eight. Okay. I was like, you are cooked you've got to get here so he had shown up the day before this happened and he was like oh i'll talk to him and we'll figure it out and blah sure, blah, blah. Sure. and you don't you're not like calling reese witherspoon or the head of uta or any of these people oh, at this no. point we weren't calling like, anybody i we mean i was, hey, I was pretty million freaked dollars? out myself uta was there for the casting and the like <laughs> Go, Joe, but they had like, already tried it. to finance it themselves. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? See it awards. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. had tried to, to finance it through the traditional Los Angeles, like, you Money know, pool. infrastructure. Right. And it hadn't worked out. So. And it became a full indie movie in that, like, we were completely responsible for the right. whole thing happening or not, which was very possible. Yeah. So basically what happened is we got shut down by SAG. We called this guy again. Our first financier our, you know, our real financier, Charlie Maynardi, God bless his heart, was there. And it was just clear, like, we're not going any further. And, like, we Charlie can't Charlie brought, like, cash with him, flew from, like, South America. Yeah, Charlie America. put in another, like, 22 grand yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like, he was just, he like... He brought cash in his suitcase. Yeah, he literally brought <laughs> cash in his suitcase. <laughs> we like, had to pay out... <laughs> we had to pay out, we like, paid, our G&E department, because they were, like, locking the trucks. They're like, we're not working. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I get and it. And I get like, it, right. I'm like, you work, shouldn't work, but right. But like, can you please like finish the day? Um, so Charlie paid people like from his suitcase yeah. in cash to get through the day. And then we got shut. And then the next day we got shut down by SAG. So we were done, you know? So I was like, we can't let anybody work anymore. Like this money's not coming. Like at that point we were like, okay, 
it would be immoral to take one more step because I am right. positive this guy's completely full of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I, before I was like, and you can't put payroll on a credit card. And at that point, I think I was up to like $90,000 on a credit card. So wait, do you tell James Ponzolt at this point where you're, uh, you're at? almost, almost. So we were like, we were kind of in like the war room in the production office, which was a bedroom. Our AD department was waiting outside, like figuring out like, are we supposed to schedule for tomorrow? Like, are mm-hmm. we doing a call sheet? And we came out around midnight. We were like, we're done. Like we're not shooting tomorrow. You know, tomorrow we're going to call like an 8.30 a.m. production meeting and just tell everybody, like, I'm so sorry. Was that speech your best performance ever? (sighs) I was like, you know, basically like, we're so sorry. Like, we're going to try to get you, like, obviously we're going to try to get everybody paid, you know, for the work that you've put in. Like, we'll go back to L.A. with the footage and try to cut it together. But so that night I went home and like googled bankruptcy and like how to get out of ninety thousand dollars worth of sure debt. yeah um so i had a plan for that um and, and this then, is so interesting though because I, I don't have we ever had a husband and wife team on the show mm. I, don't, I don't certainly I, this feels like the most fully leveraged of any of the like in the trenches stories but i also heard. think what's so good about it is like it starts with like uta you know like mm-hmm. like we hear you you hear these stories when it starts with like, you know, I saved up all my money and mm-hmm. I've got my aunt and I got that. Mm-hmm. Like, but you're starting kind of at the top and now you're like kind of gotten to the bottom. Yeah. This right. is yes. your, the we darkest night. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. Quickly. Like you have this incredible ca- cast and just like incredible people working on the project. Yeah. But. And they're just like in the best Western and like the next town over, like yeah. wondering like what's going to happen. Yeah. Fairburn or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I forget where it was. Yeah, and we basically like, they were like getting Halloween costumes <laughs> well, and that like was the hanging n- out and like getting right, so stoned then, and like being fun and sure. like being I don't know. drinking to be and like 25 whatever. or whatever. Right. Life is but, good. Yeah. But so, I want not to get too personal, but yeah. wh- where are you two at? Like wh- wh- at this moment, like you're a team, you're making this movie together, but you've still got like a young daughter, your husband's like Googling bankruptcy. Joe's like what do you trying do? to figure out how to get Amelia's college savings fund uh, yeah. liquidated. Are, you, are yeah. you both seeing we eye to eye of like, oh, this is what we do or? Audrey was so awesome. Like she was just with me every step of the way. There was never like, I feel like another partner could have been like, what the fuck did you do, you idiot? You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing here? But it was never like that. And she hadn't even really formally stepped into, like, the producer position until that night slash the next day, basically. Yeah, I think it's when, like, I've, like, worked in, like, restaurants and I was a nanny and I was just, like, trying to, like, scrape by. I worked at bars in New York. And so, like, the kind of, like, oh, there's a crisis. Let's just step in and figure it out. Like, part of my brain just kind of took over and uh, like i also was like we're kind of the financiers at this point like Mm -hmm. we've put on a credit card like the second bulk of the money so like i want to know where it's being spent and exactly what's happening and why are we shut down why didn't we make payroll okay what is that paperwork why are they asking for it do you have it so it just became like then the producer role which honestly frankly i didn't even know what a producer did i couldn't have defined I knew that they did something important and they were the ones that got the best picture Oscar. That was pretty much what I knew about producing when we were doing it. And then it was just like, then it's just problem solving. And it's Mm -hmm. basically a game of like ping pong, trying to get the ball away from you, trying to get the problem sorted or delegated to someone who can take care of it. And that's the other thing is I was realizing that like, 
some people were in over their heads, you know what I mean? And were like taking on things that they shouldn't be and like weren't asking for help when they needed to be. And that was a huge thing was like in when you're dealing with movies, if you can't deal with something and someone is offering help or, you know, mm-hmm. take it, ask for it, like use the team, use the camp mentality of like, sure. we're all here like surviving, right? And I really found that empathy and honesty were like the biggest things that helped us through it because our crew could have, easily walked away and been like mm-hmm. fuck you guys like sure. you're not gonna pay us you haven't paid us like the likelihood that you're gonna get this back together is or, like or even not none. even fuck you hey i'm so sorry guys right. you know that would have been reasonable also yeah you know and it was actually quite the opposite so what happened the next morning was we brought the this like group together like i could barely speak i was so upset um and i just said to everybody like this is you know what the story is and like this guy didn't actually have any money. We're done. Um, I'm so sorry. And that's it. And then our cinematographer, Michael Fitzmaurice, was like... He's like, I got some stock. He's like, we were like, I what got, do you mean? Yeah, he's like, I got all this Chevron stock I inherited from my grandpa. <laughs> like, I and I like Bitcoin. hate that I have money in this. He's and like, I've like, always hated that it's been in Chevron. Yeah. Was like, it just been and he was there. like, what if I put in X? <laughs> And we were like, we were like that, that would, would be huge. Definitely help. <laughs> and then our costume designer, Aaron Knight, was like, hey, guys. like, And everybody would come to us like privately, like without sure, knowing sure. about each other at first. Like, hey, guys, I could put in this. My brother James, who came down to be our, uh, our on-set PA, was like, hey, I'll give you everything this, like, little bit that of I have. Yeah, yeah. Like- um, Everyone's emptying out their pockets. Yeah. And so yeah. basically, got a, my baseball card from 1948. Yeah. So what started as like an 8:30 a.m. production meeting to shut everything down turned into a 10 a.m. production meeting of okay, we're gonna keep going. That is incredible. It was you guys. insane. It was yeah. insane. That, that is and so then, awesome. And so then, basically, like we called the. So it takes like a couple days to liquidate your stock, obviously. So and the crew hadn't been paid, and this was day eight. So we had to like, so at this point, Audrey was like fully on board. So I was she having was like, like meetings with like, I basically said like anybody that wants to talk to me or us, like I will be the person to talk to and like, right. I'll answer any questions that you what have. What do you owed? What do you need? Yeah. Like, and so basically we were saying like, these people that you've been working with the whole time, our stunt coordinator, Nick Decay, put in money as well right there. Um, uh, Wanda Morgenstern, our locations manager, put down her American Express card. <laughs> we didn't have, so when we went down, I realized this in retrospect, when we went down, we wouldn't have had a way to pay for the cast to leave Georgia. Sure. Yeah. Right. To we fly had back. Yeah. we wouldn't have been able to right. fly anybody yeah. anywhere, which makes me sick to think about that. But, yeah, yeah. So, but you didn't know that, obviously. I didn't know that. No. Um, so anyway, so then basically Audrey and... Michael and me and Charlie Maynardi and everybody was like said to, you know, the crew, you know, hey, um, so, and this was on Halloween. Amelia was like off with her grandmother, thankfully. Yeah, Shelley my mom Mitchell had, flew in several yeah. times and helped. Um, you know, hey, so we're going to keep going. Like, we're going to be funded in a few days, you know, partially funded in a few days, enough to keep going. Um, will you stick with us? Like, will you stay you know, will you please stay and like, you'll get paid. We'll make this right and whatever. And so, um, they did. And, and we were on splits when we went down, we were going into nights. So what we would do from there on is 
call like friends and family and anybody that like had money that wasn't nailed down that might want to invest in a movie. And then we would shoot um, the whole night. So, and then we would, you know, sleep in the next day until 11. And then we'd do the whole thing again. So we were... You'd sleep into 11. I was up at 7 a.m. <laughs> With our daughter. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you were on, on set night. all night. Yeah. 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 Well, she did wake me up a and lot. So meanwhile, the cast at this point, they are in Atlanta shopping for Halloween costumes. Having a great time. Having a great time. Just like enjoying each other's company and bonding. So when we, Like totally not knowing that. Totally not knowing. Like they're calling their agents and like, trying to figure out what's going on. But they're kind of also like, but well. But they're like 24 we'll f- or 23. Sure. Like, and they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah, like fine. So they're yeah. in Atlanta. Their responsibilities are pretty small. At this right. Point, yeah, right. As they should be. So yeah. by the end of the night. And none of your cast is doing this for the money. They all want to right. be Right, they're in all movies. there for scale. They all want to do the part. Yeah. And so by the end of the night, I got sent over with my little brother James to, who at this point had become an executive producer, to their hotel to dole out per diem and sort of tell them what had happened. And they were all, they had found a fire pit like in the back of this Best Western and they were just like <laughs> grilling burgers in like wigs of like these ridiculous costumes. Yeah. And they were like, oh my God, like Joe, like we feel so bad for you. Like James, you're a hero. Like, you know, it was, it, it, it was nice. And then, but it was, it was constantly treading water from there and out because it would be like, okay, my buddy who's a lawyer in Paris says he can do 20. Like my cousin says he can do 25. Like my other friend says he can do seven. Like so many different people that were like, oh, this is a company that's going to come in and they're going to bail us out. And they didn't, you know, and this one could and they didn't. So many so, sharky kind of people mm-hmm. that were like, yeah, sure, like sure, we'll give people. you like a loan for like half a million dollars sure. at like 30%. We're right. like, right. what? Blood's in the water. Worse than that. Yeah, way grosser than that. Yeah, fees. And- yeah, the bigger the number, like the less likely you it would exactly. go through in the so morning. Yeah. We were chipping it away yeah. at people. You had brother who's like, I got 2,000 bucks. He was good, right? right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Way more than 2,000. Yeah, exactly. But whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, but, no. So, but, but yeah, exactly. And so it was like... Well, let me ask you this kind of weird question. At any point, are you like looking at your shot list, looking at your locations, looking at your shoot schedule and figuring out how you can carve, like chisel out m- expenses? I When I was shooting, it was like, a Zen meditation. Like when I was filming, all of this was gone. Like I had prepped this movie in my mind for two years. I had actually switched out my DP a week before we started shooting because I heard too much like that's going to be hard. And I was like, I can't have that. Like I'm not, you're not going to just lock this off on sticks and do coverage. Like that's not the movie we're shooting. We're going to be moving this camera a lot. It's going to be a big like orchestrated thing. And like, I need everybody to be down. So as long as I was filming, I was good. Like, you know, there's, of course, certain days that you, you know, go over or you don't make your day or you lose a shot here or there. You know, that's inevitable. But it wasn't like, well, if we, you know, if we if we don't swing a lens, then I'll be able, mm-hmm. then my movie will be funded. You know what I mean? Sure. It, like, didn't matter at that point. And we were flying through these days. We also we had like, the benefit of, like, you were shooting, like, a concert, basically, in, like, this hall. So yeah. there was, like, great music that musicians, you know, they weren't live playing, but they were kind of live playing. Yeah, and there was were, just, like, the people who had written the music were there Were there, like, because yeah. the bands that played in the movie, we hired actual bands that we used their songs. So it was, like, kind of jovial energy, like, despite this kind of intensity. It was a wonderful yeah, the shooting was like set. actually was amazing. Yeah. It was but you like weren't like scrambling for like free extras or free venues. Or oh, free... we just couldn't pay the extras uh, for the last. So was... basically what happened was is then 
we we funded enough to get through the shoot, which was the critical thing to do because mm-hmm. if you can't get all of your footage in the can, you really have no chance of making a movie. Right. So it was thinking that the the goal what what I remember it feeling like was basically just finish. Yeah, that get, feels get like the finish to line. Day eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that was the finish line. Yeah, and it was until we still had to figure out now how to pay the last week payroll, how to pay the extras that we pay had the rest of the like equipment rental brought in purchase, right pay off know, the packages rental, equipment and... rentals like i still had 90 grand on a credit card yeah. uh and audrey had still a bunch of money on credit cards like how's that going to get paid off um and also you know like raymond wood our editor put up six grand to pay the sound sound mixer so that holding we could sound hostage until they got paid and again every time we talk about this it's like as you should right like, you, should. Should, you should get paid you shouldn't yeah, yeah. turn over your sound cards until you get paid like, right. the, you're I talking would, about the production sound recorder we're yes. talking about the mixer who basically was for on his set. team was like yeah we're not giving you that sound until you like give us yeah right yeah. Right. C- completely it's, it's on this sd card yeah. right. but like pay but it. i'm, I'm yeah. in his boat you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. of course and so ray was like well how about you but you're just not downloading the foot footage and the audio at the end of every you day. can't they have it they have it literally so it was, on like, their it was the final two days oh, okay so whatever yeah. so anyway we get into the edit with ray and we still have you know we still have to raise about 40 percent of the budget to um, finish the movie to finish the movie right. because yeah so anyway we this great company called black hall uh ryan Millsap and uh eric hodge we got into conversations with them while we were in the edit and we're we met through Tara through Tara and Sarah their producer um and we're sort of going back and forth on terms and you know trying to figure it out while um at this point we moved from Noonan to Atlanta Audrey's looking after Amelia I am in the edit from like noon to 2 a.m pretty much uh every day all right because you're cutting in Georgia so we're cutting in Georgia yeah um and so while we're working on the cut we're basically negotiating trying to figure out terms. how to put this money together and still bringing in like little friends mm-hmm. and family you know so are all these people um, owning pieces of the movie like on yeah. the llc so you have oh, like yeah. 50 investors or something we, we have, have like 17 eps do we have 17 yeah okay yeah and um not all of them are investors i think 15 out of the 17 are investors yeah uh, and so, yeah, so we're cutting the movie and then, you know, we've got something pretty close to done and Eric comes through and he's like, oh yeah, it's great. And so we still had to hammer out terms, but eventually we got to the end of this negotiation with Black Hall and. Which again, it felt like just like a gift of God, like, right. you know, whoever, like it was a, it was a lucky, thank God. It was just it happened the perfect timing. Like they wanted their name on a, on a they, movie. They're a physical production company they own like massive they own, like, studios. studios that marvel and netflix rent out gotcha. right. they come from they like an industrial do, real estate like, background yeah. and so it but, was like they were kind of wanting the foray into the film industry right but it must right. be so stressful right because right the first cut of a movie is always like unwatchable right it's Whoa. so bad and you that's the point where you're trying to get investors right where you just are putting these scenes together well what's funny is i never had that first cut experience because basically what happens oh, i right. sat down with ray well, first of all, this investor guy now decides, the fake investor that was still on the LLC decides he's going to sue. He's going to sue. Uh-huh. He wants his movie. It's his movie, even though he didn't put any money in. He showed up in Atlanta. I wouldn't let him on set. We we hadn't paid the police for the lockups, so cops were showing up at, <laughs> uniformed cops were showing up at the production office being like, where's our money, which was amazing. Um, again, this, like, I, 
I, I laugh about it, but this is no disrespect to these like incredible people that worked on the movie and should have been paid on time. It's just like unbelievable when I'm sure, retelling sure. the story. Um, and so this dude showed up in Atlanta and he was like so offended that him and his like supposedly rich friend that was going to put money in didn't get to come to set. But at that point I was like, you're the villain. Like, yeah, man, you almost ruined, my <laughs> you life. ruined this. Like <laughs> yeah. if my crew hadn't stepped up and paid for the movie, like we would be screwed. You know what I mean? Um, so you're not coming anywhere near the set. And I told the cops about it. They were like, well, we'll keep him off your set for you. And that really pissed him off. Apparently that got back to him. So this guy's got a lawyer and he's coming after us. Mike, another cousin of mine. But what he has no rights except for his name is on the he LLC. He has rights to being part of the movie. He has like, he could like, he could like um, in, enjoying the movie so, technically. Yeah, he could sort of enjoy it. He, he, was, suppo- he was supposed to get an EP credit. I was like, you're not getting that. Um, he thought that he still should own 50% of the movie, even though he hadn't paid for it. He was really delusional and like sore about the whole experience. Um, we had this extraordinary attorney, like Yale educated partner at a law firm that my cousin introduced me to this um, uh, 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 investment attorney. Um, I'm saying that wrong, but business attorney, you know, um, who was like, I'll help you out. And he just gave us like, so many tens of thousands of dollars of free legal, legal advice, just sending like nasty grams back and forth. Like, I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. And this went all the way through the color, which is back here in LA. So we're talking like, so we filmed it in October, November. This is like June, Ju- June July. June, and July. didn't really fully settle until October. So, yeah. So, so anyway, so later. this guy is, threatening like legal stuff which to me i'm like oh my god like yeah this is you know, insane right yeah. this is insane like and to your listeners if somebody threatens to sue you it is so expensive to sue somebody don't take them that seriously unless they have <laughs> so much freaking money to just flush down the toilet like so basically this guy he had a, a local attorney out of atlanta who just wanted to offload him as soon as possible then he got an la-based attorney a real law firm and they're sending, you know, stuff back and forth. They're saying, we think we're entitled to XYZ. Like, we're saying you're not. They're saying, well, how about you settle and pay us this and give us an, uh, an EP credit and give us these points on the movie. And at that point, Audrey, I was at, I was at one point like, well, maybe we should just sit. And Audrey was like, we, nothing. She was <laughs> like, I would rather put that money in David Yates's pocket, David, the attorney who worked for us. I would rather put that money anywhere. Like I would rather like put that in a litigator's pocket. Like no way this guy's not getting a dime. Like call his bluff. Yeah. It just Mm -hmm. felt like another scam. Like that we were just being scared. And, and that's like, people will do that. And especially when you're like young and you've only never done it before and you're, you're, you're new and they can take advantage of you. And he was like in his like forties, early Mm fifties maybe. And like, so I just was like, call his bluff. He's weak and thanks lives. Yeah, so right. then <laughs> so anyway, the operating agreement is such that you can only force the person can either sign themselves off willingly, which he wasn't mm-hmm. gonna do. You can only forcibly remove him for the commission of a crime. It doesn't have to have been charged, he doesn't have to have been convicted, but the commission of a crime, so you can point to and say, Hey, you know, you did this thing, even though you didn't get caught, we know you did it, and we're deciding to boot you. And thankfully, he had written over a million dollars worth of bad checks in a South American country. So we were like, that's check fraud. We said, you know, we're going to boot you. Um, 
how about you just sign yourself off and save yourself the trouble? And he had actually put in, he had gotten a little bit of money from somebody else at the 11th hour and put a little bit of cash in. And we said, we're, we always held on to that cash. Like, <laughs> no matter what was happening, we held it. We're like, we're giving that back, which we didn't have to under the operating agreement. We could have actually absorbed it and <laughs> had it come after us. But we said, we'll give it back. Sign yourself off. We'll give it back. Um, so we got all of our investors to sign a thing that says he's going to, we're going to remove you. You're a crook. Um, and this was, uh, this was like way deep through the process. So, so first we're in the edit. We've got no money still. We black all comes in after we're, oh, I was saying I never had the experience of a first cut. So Ray and I, from day one, Ray's like, all right, it'll take me about five days to put together a first assembly. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, let's just start cutting this movie. So we started cutting the movie right then and there oh, so by kind the, of in sequence so basically? we just yeah we just exactly we just like opened up scene one and i'm like oh no i want you to cut when he puts his hand down on the thing and it's like oh great okay so we never had the experience of like me going back in and being like oh that's not the movie i made what did you do like i was just there with him picking every single cut oh, the whole man. time i'm so jealous which i loved it was great yeah and ray and i like got on like gangbusters we had a great time you and didn't so- have like a well of depression Right? Like, no, I had uh, an ocean of depression sure. the whole time, you know, but it wasn't because <laughs> but, of the uh, first for different cut. reasons. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, we get through this, we get sort of close to Christmas and Eric comes and sees the movie and he likes it. And, and you felt like when you were shooting it, even despite all that stress and stuff that you were getting like exactly what you wanted. Totally. You know, with this, with the, you know, with the compromises you make, you know, we right. don't have a black table for you. It's a brown table. Fine. I don't care. Great. Like. And are you doing, do you do a lot of takes? Do you do get super deep with the actors? Usually between like three and five takes. Yeah. Yeah. Between three and five takes. And like, you know, I like to see what somebody's going to bring to the table before I start messing with them. You know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like up in people's face with like a 14 inch clipboard. Like, so (laughs) when your grandfather was born. I want you to think about the Ozu film, like the, you know what I and mean. And is it like, because people have done that to you, and you realize that it wasn't that helpful? Yes, it's a nightmare. Yeah, and, it, and it's first-time filmmakers that have done it to me, and you just like, you just suck all the magic out of the room. Mm-hmm. Like it's all gone. And and a movie is not what you thought of three years ago in your head, and you wrote down in your binder. A movie is what is happening in front of you. So shoot it. You know what I mean? Like shoot it and tweak it and work with it. Like. Ha- have it shot listed know what your sequences are and like how you're going to button your transitions and everything like know what you're doing but like don't like burden these poor actors with like your neurosis like you cast them that is good. a common theme having talked to a handful of actors at this point yeah that is the number one thing they yeah. all have said like the more tv you're on the more you're like just let me do my thing please well even but all let the, me show like, you what i never first. had like i worked with some really great like legendary directors i never had them come up to me with like a binder being like so in this scene, like... Let me show you a picture of it. Right, I'm going to show you, like, a picture of, like, my, like, first pet. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why it was a pet. It wasn't a pet, it was a friend. <laughs> right. And, you know, and you're just sort of like, dude, you are crushing time right now. Sure. Like, you are really killing time, giving me com- entirely unactionable things. Like, do you need this faster? Do you need this slower? Like, do you need more emotion? Do you need... The, you know, there's ways to get all that. And... And things that, like, I didn't know, like, I watched myself screw actors up, like, left, right, and center on my movie, like, going up and giving a note, and, like, I look in the edit, and I'm like, oh, wow, you totally fucked them up. Chunked it, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) they were doing great until you chimed in, and then they've got no idea what they're doing all of a sudden, like, way to ruin that. 
So if you're doing that before your first take, you're really that's uh, sure. you're working against yourself. Also, there. like it was like cast well, like the in that like the people kind of to to a you know normal degree, like they were the characters, like they mm-hmm. were very close to the characters. It wasn't like a yeah. huge. Yeah, you talked and, about that with that one of your actresses wanted to play a different role, but you're like well, right. you are this character. Cast good actors who are good at the parts, and yeah. like I didn't make people audition as much as I could. I just like said. You're good. You're right for it. Like, go for it. Like, I, you know, I didn't want to like sit in a room again with a clipboard and make a five thousand notes and see eight hundred different hate actors. Clipboards. Like, <laughs> hate clipboards. I um, hate binders. But you're familiar with all of their work before you cast them. Yes, and I knew that they. I had seen all their work. A lot of people I had just like almost like I called their reps out of the blue and said, "Hey, I know Callan McAuliffe from I Am Number Four, and I also saw him in Stanford Prison, and." it's been so hard for me to figure out who's right for this. And I watched an interview with Callan and I think Callan's right. Like, is he available? Yes. Send him the script. He you're just it. calling them yourself personally. I'm calling the managers. Yeah. Or like emailing them like late at night. So you're not going through your reps to get to them. You're just. No, at that point I was IMDb like. IMDb proing. Just IMDb yeah. proing. Just. I love that. That's also, we hear about like the, the note oftentimes and it's never been, you know, distilled the way you just said it. Mm. It's like, oh, here are the things I love you for. This is why you're good. I did my research. Right. Yeah. That's it. This is why I like you. Yeah. This is why you're right for the part. Like, let's talk about it, you know? So, so we cut the movie, you know, we only had really seven weeks to edit it. Um, We took a Christmas break. Justin Lerner was tremendously helpful. He helped me cut 10 minutes out of the movie. He was on the phone with me for like six hours. I mean, I got a lot of great notes from a lot of great people. I heard he lives right across the... the Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. Right. (laughs) Justin was just telling us how great his notes were (laughs) they were they really were they were great man they were very actionable they were so good he's like he's like stop telling me at the end of every scene what's gonna happen in the next scene and then telling me at the end of the next scene what's gonna happen in the next scene it's a good note yeah he's like you you started your movie three times you ended your movie four times (laughs) you know like you know great really good stuff he was like don't freak out but you need to cut 10 minutes out of this movie and i think i cut like eight a little tough love is important too, you know, totally. like from someone who knows what he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. And is Jordan involved in any of these? Uh, Jordan, things? the writer? No. Yeah. Uh, no, not really. You know, I just kind of was like running with it at that point. And, and every time somebody would come on, like I would do, I did all the rewrites at a certain point. Like I was just like, okay, like I have to be able to, like, I can't, I can't be expect beholden. you to be able to write what I'm saying, but I need sure. this to be written so that people on set can do the things that, Right. If they were there experiencing all that. Yeah, and like when I cast Annalie Tipton, right? Like, Annalie, I knew her manager through somebody and I was like, hey, you know, can we chat, whatever. Annalie got on the phone with me. I'm positive she was going to tell me no. Like, I could just tell from the way that she was speaking in the beginning. I was like, oh, she's like doing a favor and she's going to pass. And like 90 minutes or like two hours later, whatever, I was like, I hear all your concerns about this part. Like, you are 1000% right. Like, this is not. Wait, you're talking to her for like an hour and a half, and you think she's going to pass? Uh well, I I started to think maybe I can get her by the sure, end of the sure. conversation, but like at first I was like, I know that she's going to pass, and I always say this in Q and As, and she just like laughs and looks at the ground. So my guess is <laughs> she was going to pass. Uh, and so, but like when I got off the phone with Anneli, I was like, oh, I've got some heavy lifting to do. And we cracked that script back open, and Audrey helped me to rewrite that character pretty much entirely. Um, 
Which, like, the character, just because we've mentioned it a couple times, she's, like, finds out that she's pregnant and, like, doesn't know if her, like, partner wants to have a baby or doesn't. They're young and, like, but, you know, not young enough where it's not doable. But Mm -hmm. it's, like, that question of, is this my problem? Is this our problem? This should be our problem. And we had just had a baby and we're pretty young. So it was, like, felt very close to home. Yeah, we talked through it. Yeah, like, we kind of, I don't know, I was able to give some insight as to yeah audrey came over the Annalie's first line in the movie which is um hello uh no what is it <laughs> i don't even remember it's uh, this is not the it's plan it's not the plan yeah oh yeah so okay so anyway so we cut this movie we go back to la we're coloring it we're still in this like legal back and forth and the guy's like all right i'm i'm gonna file for you know uh arbitration arbitration right and so at that point our attorney in atlanta was like i can't i I can't litigate for you like i'm sorry but like good luck and we're like all right so at this point we were just waiting and you don't have like an attorney as an actor yeah i have an an entertainment lawyer but like he couldn't care (laughs) it's a different i mean yeah you're i actually have a new entertainment lawyer now than i did at the time (laughs) it was wonderful yeah but like again i wouldn't even the entertainment lawyer i have now like i would never expect him to be able to handle this you know what i mean like well he just has he does a, like a contracts clients, and deals. Right. Right, he's do, not right. like litigating. Law, like, he's not doing yeah. investments or litigation. Right, right. So, anyways, this guy's like, "We're gonna, I'm gonna sue you." We're like, "Great, throw it on the pile." Uh, at, you know, we're gonna finish the movie. We finish the movie and we um, set a buyer screening for, funny enough, Halloween. And during AFM, a year later, during AFM, right. Yep. Uh, a year later. A year later, and the and and so in it's like June. This guy says he's gonna uh, sue. Our attorneys like boot him. Like that's enough. Like boot him. Like he's a crook. Get him off. So we do all the paperwork to boot him, and we send it, and we send it to his attorney, and we don't hear anything back. And so I call like David Yates and Elena. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I don't know. Like we send it to him. Like we hear anything back? He's like, I'll call the attorney. Calls the attorney. The attorney's like, we don't work with the guy anymore. He stiffed us. <laughs> he never paid. Of course. Of and so course. David's like, well, you know, they're trying to give him this cash back. Like, like, you should get paid that. Like, you should take that. You should get him to sign this paper. Right. And then you can take and his so money, basically. the day before our buyer screening, he signed himself off the movie. And we and we cut him the check. So we were able. and And we had deferred. We had had to defer our entire music budget. Which was significant because it's a music movie. Which was significant. And the thought process was, we'll defer it to the distributor. Like, Mm -hmm. not knowing that, like, you might not get an MG. Like, you don't know. I feel like that's kind of like old-fashioned advice. It's so, such bad advice. It used to be great, right? In 1996, it was right. awesome. Totally. When they're yeah. like, yeah, 130. Sure. People are buying clerks for four million yeah, bucks. Exactly. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like In Spikes, Mike's Slackers and Dykes, the John Pearson, you know, uh, account of like all that era. Mm-hmm. Like that's where all of those guys, the clerks is spending right. money like crazy, but right. all for festival screenings. Right. It's like, I was like, oh, that's a great idea as like a teenager. Right. So we didn't and, do know, any... Festival deals. We just had the amounts that we had to pay to these people, but right. we didn't have the money left to pay it. So we did the buyer screening. And 
again, like our movie has nine lives. We got like the exact MG from Samuel Goldwyn to pay for the music. They didn't know what the music was going to cost. Like we didn't tip our hand. They just said, how about this amount? We said, how about this amount? We ended on that amount and that amount covered exactly. And were they at the buyer screening? Yeah, Samuel Goldwyn? they were at the buyer screening. Yeah. In summation, it was like a lot, a lot, a lot of luck that you couldn't have foreseen or created really that it just felt like wow we barely got away with that and somehow which feels like kind of what movie is is movie making is like there's this like an element of magic luck that like it just kind of all sort of worked and then you got through the it's it's indiana jones it's indiana jones with the weight and he, you're just trying to balance what you're trying to sure. get creatively and yeah. like how much sand is in your bag how much right. sand is in your yeah. bag is and it gonna work what's so funny is like i had i have this whole story and i think i'm so unique and i cracked this book about first time directors and i'm like oh this is everybody's this is story everybody. this yeah. is everybody like yeah. everybody went through a nightmare in their first movie funded it by you know like doctors dentists and friends sure and so yeah. I love these rich dentists I keep hearing about. Yeah. I had no dentists no. or doctors, so I don't know why I even keep saying that. We did have a dentists. filmmaker on who was the daughter of two orthodontists, and she did make some connections through them. So that's yeah. great. We, I mean, Joe I basically pretty... like, grew up in New York, and a couple of friends went into finance, and we like reaped yeah. the benefits. Finance and law. Yeah. yeah. Um, so was it worth it? Yeah, of course. It was very worth it. You want yeah. to do it again? Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Are you working on something? Uh, I've got a couple things that I'm producing that'll probably not be for me to direct, and then I have a script that I like found recently that I love that I'll see if I can convince the people working on it to let me direct it. It's uh, it's funny. It's hard to find that piece of material that like mm-hmm. blows your mind, you know. And I've been, and it you could have a great piece of writing that just you don't connect to for whatever reason. Um, or, you know, a piece of writing that other everybody says this is fantastic and look at these incredible people attached to it. And you're just like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, mm-hmm. I just right. don't know, you know. And then something just, like, strikes you. And for whatever reason, you're just sucked into the orbit of this piece of material and you have no hope of getting out until you, I don't know. Make the movie. Until make you make the movie. the movie. Yeah. yeah. So we're all in all extremely fortunate and grateful for this crazy experience it's like the best experience that i would never want to go through again (laughs) and well are you going to use this movie as like a calling card yeah for sure yeah so exactly yeah send it to people and see what they think and what they say and if they think i'm like a competent enough storyteller to do it again and And are you still acting at the same time uh i'm like not really to be totally honest like sometimes i'll it's I always was like pretty, I don't want to say choosy, but like I only, I like was lucky enough to usually only get cast and stuff that was pretty good. I've done my fair share of garbage as well, but that like I, uh, like I'm. Your resume is pretty stellar. I'm not the kind of person that's like getting a pilot every year. Right. You know what I mean? Like I know those actors that just like, they get a pilot every year, like, and sometimes it goes for three episodes and sometimes it doesn't. And it doesn't matter. Like that's never been me. Like it's been Mm -hmm. the sort of thing where I'm like, Oh, I could play this part. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of look like the real guy. And like, I think I'd be, I'm like good enough at it that I could like do it with these other actors who are in it. So, you know, like I'm still like super excited to work as an actor for like, 
all these all the directors that I haven't worked for yet or some of them that I have worked for and worked for them again but um but I really want to make another movie that's cool what did uh any I I really enjoyed Big Little Lies like many people what uh what did you learn from Jean-Marc Vallée Jean-Marc was like a huge inspiration to me at the time and I was on the Big Little Lies set when the initial version of the movie started coming together and James said he would do it and you know, that sort of thing. So Jean-Marc is... The initial version of Summer Night. Of Summer Night. Your movie. Yeah, our movie. Jean-Marc is amazing. There's... He lights 360 and everything could be filmed at any time. And his cinematographer, Eve, is on what they call the butt dolly, which looks like a industrial office chair. And Jean-Marc has him by the shoulders and he just moves him. (laughs) It's it's a fisher. It's like a small version of a fisher, right? Yeah. And he just like moves him where he wants him. Um, Wait, but is this hand like shoulder mounted? Camera shoulder or? mounted okay. all the time. It's always shoulder mounted. And Jean-Marc is just an extraordinary editor as well. So I had spent a lot of time with his movies. And once I was on set with him, I'm like. Which movies did you make? Uh, Crazy, which is yeah. incredible. It's a um, French Canadian uh, The Young Victoria movie. with Emily Blunt, which yeah. is, which is yes. great. Yes. And it's yeah. so good. It's, it's like an amazing. Um, it's like. A wonderful period. It's movie. so good. Yeah. Cafe de Flore. Yes. With Vanessa Paradis. Yes. Which is also extraordinary. I've seen none of these. Um, they're really good. They're oh, totally yeah. worth. He's a deep. He's worth, worth a deep it. dive. Like yeah. just as like a cinematic education, he's got a really strong aesthetic. And I think the fact that he's an editor, you can feel what he's shooting, what he's getting. He's thinking about it in okay. How could this cut like what piece is this and how yeah. is it fitting in but is and this 360 lighting 360 is like obviously everyone would love to have that but did, is that efficient or yeah i mean he and he uses natural light 90 percent of the time um so i don't know what exactly it is that they're doing to make it work um but he's i've never been on a set with somebody who's so electric and so breaking all the rules. So I'll just tell you a really quick story. I was not here for this, but I incidentally did a movie with the sound um, sound uh, mixer on of um, uh, Wild, which is also a great movie that Jean-Marc directed. Oh, he directed that. Jean-Marc doesn't like having a boom operator on set. <laughs> Because it like gets in the sure. way, so he wants everybody to just be loved. There's a logic to that, I the, guess. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, Jean-Marc, and he loves like sort of by the seat of his pants. And again, I wasn't here for the story. This was told second secondhand. So, uh, they're in a tent, and Jean-Marc's like, "Get the boom out! Like, get boom out!" And the guy like, comes out with his boom, and and my friend Dick is like, "Get back in there!" And he's like, "Jean-Marc threw me out!" And he goes up. He's like, "Jean-Marc, you have to have a boom." He's like, "No boom." He's like, "If you don't have a boom, nobody's mic'd." If you don't have a boom, you're not going to have sound. Jean-Marc goes, give me the boom. So Jean-Marc takes the boom, and he's booming. This is this, on Wild. This is on Wild. So Reese he's, Witherspoon. He's, right. So, right, so he's booming this scene himself, right? And Dick is just like <laughs> exasperated. It's like after the first take, he goes up to Jean-Marc. He's like, on him for this line, on her for that line. This close, no further, blah, blah, blah. Get it right. And walks away, and the AD goes, you can't speak to the director like that. And Dick goes, I can when he's my fucking boom guy. (laughs) (laughs) So just seeing the sort of like punk rock version of making a movie, I was like, I just really want to try this. Why didn't he want the boom? I can do that. 
was I guess it was getting in his vibe. Yeah, it was in his way. And it's so funny how like the background of a director just like changes their priorities so much. We had this guy uh, that directs like a ton of Geico commercials, but his background is being like a sound engineer. And his advice was do you know, when you get the take and you feel good about it, do one more take where the boom is like literally one inch above the actor's head. Yeah. In the shot. Great advice. Yeah. And it then is. get a clean plate and then just replace it. And you'll have, he's like, you'll just have amazing clean sound totally. you can use for anything. Or do it wild. Do every single sure. scene wild. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was fortunate to have really good sound guys and then a really, really great sound designer um, named Jeffrey Allen Jones, who was able to salvage like everything for me because I hated doing ADR and I didn't want to ADR anything. Um, but yeah, I think that that's great advice. I think throwing the boom guy out of a tent is probably not <laughs> <laughs> what you want to do. I don't know right? that he was thinking through his like rational brain at <laughs> sure, that point. Sure. It was a little but, yeah, is he like his, him booming is better than actually having a professional boom? Uh, I guess he like just the extra just, body yeah, in just the just area. Body. Right. Sometimes like, get like, away right. from me. I get, it. I get it. Wild was an intense movie. Yeah. Wild's great. Um, were there any other like nuggets in terms of or from pers- any directors? Yeah. Oh, you know, um, I mean, you worked with who did Lincoln Spielberg? Spielberg. Uh, it's, I think just like more than anything, I understood the rhythms of the set and understood the set jargon. You understand what it feels like when your day is going right, um, and what it feels like when things are going off the rails. So, you know, when I work with first timers, I would just watch them just like kill time. Like time is just everything to you. You know. For Every, our listeners that are gearing up to make their first movie, what's like any concrete examples of mistakes you saw first-time filmmakers make? That like you how, avoid? Do they, how do they kill time? Yeah. Um, uh, over-talking performance and character while you're on set. Like spend thousands of hours together beforehand. Talk through everything. Talk through whatever. And every actor is different. Try to understand each actor's process and you're some of that you're going to be learning as you go. You know what I mean? Like some people are really great out the gate. And then once you get to takes three and four, they're kind of mm-hmm. not as great. Some people are just gearing up on takes three and four. And once you get to eight and nine, they're really exceptional. Like I think talking about performance while you're trying to perform is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I And yeah, I, I think great. it's bad. I think it's bad for the performances, but I also just think that logistically it, it just doesn't make sense. There's just no time for it, you know? So like, like Ian Nelson and I spent like, we went to like a four hour dinner, lots and lots of phone calls, lots and lots of text messages. Ian wants to talk about everything, you know what I mean? But you get on set and like, you just can't talk about everything anymore. Like you gotta have faith. Like you've just gotta jump off the cliff and hope that like you've sewed the parachute properly. Um, Because you're just gonna crash anyway. Like either you're gonna, talk it to death and you won't have put it on film or you didn't do the prep work and it's not going to work and you Mm -hmm. hope that you can fix it in the edit. But, um, you know, I guess that would be my main like actory note. Is there anything that you can think of that? It can be a non-actor. I mean, that, that, that was great, but it can also be like, uh, you know, put two cameras next to each other. (laughs) Like whatever you've seen. Yeah. I mean, no, know what you want to shoot, like know what your like camera movements mean, like know why you're moving the camera. If you're going to move the camera, that's like a big thing. Obviously that was like, I had to learn everything. Like I just spent 
hours at Samuel French on Sunset, which recently closed, yeah, which was so sad. Yeah. But I just like would drink their free coffee and buy their books at, when I could afford them and read the ones there that I couldn't afford and just like tried to learn everything. Um, on directing. On directing, yeah. And I think like you don't really understand how important transitions are. Yeah, I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like if anything that I noticed that even seeing directors on much, much, much bigger budgets not do, which is like plan your transitions. Mm -hmm. Like think about how you're getting in and out of scenes Mm -hmm. and use the camera to like tell that story. Mm -hmm. And it just, you had so many cool ideas that just, I was like, oh yeah, I see it. I get it. Yeah. Figure out your sequences. Like understand what a sequence is like i don't i never even knew what a sequence was and it's hard to even explain what a sequence is you know what i mean and it's also like a little bit boring to just like read it really dry but then once you're on and doing it it's like you just have that arsenal of like oh yeah like i intuitively kind of understand something a little more and watch everything that you shot like there was there were things that i needed that i didn't have and when ray and i went and we watched every single frame that we shot from before action to after cut. And we pulled things from after cut. We pulled things from before action. There was like a shot of Victoria sitting down, like, like we had already called rolling and she was like, Oh, and she just like rushed into her position. We used that. Um, we used audio that we had caught of Justin Chatwin and some like big wide. We're like, that's hilarious. We didn't know he said that. Like, let's throw that in. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, of what else? And like, obviously, the kill your darlings, get rid of all the stuff that you think it's cool. It's not cool. It's slowing you down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I think that, and I, yeah. I think transitions are like so, so important. Um, I, to me, like you can tell it's a first time filmmaker when it's like medium shot to medium shot, and then oh, next yeah. Right. yeah. It, well, and also not a thing that's innate to your point, right? That's like I think that everyone understands you know, if a scene is going well or not, but it's hard to see the bigger picture of like, how are we going to move from the scene prior to the scene after? What's your glue? Yeah. Yeah. And also, how are you going to, how are you going to leave the audience feeling? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and it can be cutaways. Like it doesn't have to be cooked into, you know, the actual shot. Like there's so many different ways to do it, but yeah, I think, and you know, shoot like as much as you can. (laughs) Just Just always roll. Just, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually have a, a kind of a sideways question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Audrey, you weren't in film when you guys were starting to make this movie, right? And now you made a movie, you you know, you kind of were forged in the fire together, but now you're in film as a, as a professional. Yes. Right? Like that you decided to make that your career. Yes. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was... It- again like luck i kind of just feel like i like well basically we did the movie and then came back to la and it kind of felt like this weird thing where i had always i'd been here for almost a decade and i was like i didn't really know much i knew a little bit and my my mother's in acting and so i've always kind of been more on the creative acting side of things i thought i wanted to be an actor for half a second when i was 18 and came out here and was like super involved in that and then didn't even occur to me that like there was another world where you could be part of movies but not not in front of the camera (laughs) um and obviously I, i never thought about directing and still have not but but then once really doing the producing of it 
I realized that it was kind of like you're the onset parent, like you're the you're the camp counselor if we're mm-hmm. using the camp metaphor. Sure. So you're kind of helping guide the activities and like make sure no one dies. Um, no one's drowning in the after exactly. canoeing or whatever. Yeah. So and I and I liked it and like oddly I was like oh I'd like to do that again. We have um, a lovely friends that um, Mark Gill and Hannah Wegg who we've talked about and um, Mark was at Warner Independent. He was at Miramax. He's like a you know he's been an executive for several decades and he was striking out on his own to make his own uh, distribution and production company uh, Solstice. And so at the time when we came back from summer night, I got pregnant with our second child. um, And I was kind of like, okay, right. I'm back in LA. I want to be a producer or whatever that means. I want to like keep making movies and being part of it. And I like remember being in bed, like going to sleep being like, I just want a job where I get paid, but I'm also like being mentored and like learning a lot and not just like someone's desk assistant. I love that. And oddly, like I somehow it happened where I got this opportunity where Mark was like, hey, like we told the story at a dinner party, basically the story we just told you guys much faster. Um, And it was impressive enough where he was like, hey, like you sound like you could kind of maybe be in our physical production department, which again, I didn't really know the difference between physical production and production. Like what do those mean? Um, But he was like, you should like talk to Renee Bassan, who's going to be our head of physical production, who's like been a line producer for years and like really on the ground, like in the trenches. And I, we talked and, and we just really vibed. And I don't know, there's just something very like, I feel like the random jobs that I've had and the kind of like, like, pathlessness that I felt as like a young 20 year old person in like my early 20s like just kind of living life and being a creative person and all of that but not really having my like oh this is what I want this is what I'm going for in life like this kind of felt like the closest thing that actually felt good and I didn't feel like a phony saying it mm-hmm. and wanting it um, and then and then the doing of it was exciting and like magic and like movies so fun so cool and then to just be like feeling like part of the the shepherding of that like you're like the doula of of movies like you're helping it all come together and like stay together and then now i'm working at solstice as like a physical production executive really really trimmed down studio a la lionsgate or stx so we're you know making you know, 30 to $80 million movies, um, action, big romance, wide release movies. We're going for that market of like, okay, we still believe that people will like go to the movie theaters. And these are the kind of movies that like, you know, generally get a wide, wide audience. And so it's been really interesting to go from like making a like super trimmed down indie movie to like being a part of, you know, huge movies with Russell Crowe, you know, which we just made called Unhinged. And it's like, it's been really an amazing experience. And like, also, as I said before, like same problems. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 90, 95% of the problems are going to be uh, Russell there. Crow. Yeah. I mean, Russell Crowe. Yeah. Russell Crowe was kidding. lovely actually. And he's, you know, when you have a great actor, when you have great talent, that's all that matters. Like you're setting it all up so that you can hope that like the person that you've hired can like be the best that they can be because that's really all that matters. You can do everything else right. And if you don't have the opportunity, if you don't give the opportunity or, you know, you don't cast in the right way, it's, you know, 
you get what you get. And it's it was really cool to watch like a big star, um, you know, after, you know, being a part of that whole process. It's sure. been great. Do you two anticipate that you'll work together again? Yeah, I think that's, I'm collecting magic beans and my end of things and Joe's, you know, thinking, yeah, I think we'll, we'll do something more together. So long to get something up and off the ground. So I, when I do get that next movie off the ground, we're going to have to, <laughs> will, will Mark Lee go on sabbatical? Do they have that at studio? Job, you know, go rogue. <laughs> well, hopefully it'll be a 30 to 80 million dollar. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We'll be doing the thirty-day million dollar thriller. There you go. (laughs) Summer night terror. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, nice. The Halloween version. I'm in. Yeah, the Alamo, (laughs) but they go back to the Alamo. I remember. And they shoot. (laughs) You remember the Alamo? Yeah. Um, Well, awesome. Well, thanks for chatting with us. Guys, so much fun. I feel like we got to go to like a therapy session here. Oh man, welcome to the show, you guys. Couples work therapy. How you guys do it? Don't you well, want to just tell people not to shut up couple. and tell your own stories after a certain point? Well, we do that every once in a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like we talk about ourselves a significant amount for people who... We inject our stories. And I must have mentioned when my birthday is at least two times. I will never forget when your birthday is. <laughs> Day before Halloween, guys. Uh-huh. Feel free to send me a Facebook message. Um, are you guys cool with uh, hanging out with us for our unpaid endorsement section? Oh, yeah. Unpaid endorsements. So I'll, I'll, I'll start, actually. I've got a new uh, YouTube series that I love. Um, it's a bit of a, a long walk on this one. I love the magazine Bon Appetit, you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm so pleased that I'm getting like, healthy nods. I love Bon Appetit. Yeah, it's so I good. I follow them on yeah. Instagram. My so, favorite Bone magazine. So then, Audrey, do you know... It sounds snooty, right? You 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 hear the, like a food magazine, Bon Appetit. No, it's like totally practical. It's really down to earth. It's still into food for sure, but there's a, a they have a really great Instagram feed, but also like their YouTube presence is awesome. And there's there's a show called uh, It's Alive, and it's one of their test kitchen guys. His name is Brad. He's like real like salt of the earth, like like foodie cookie guy, um, like fermenting things mostly. And they're long ass episodes. It's like 20 minutes on like making some spicy pickles, but it's real weird. It's like if you did like an adult swim style episode of like, you know, check it out with Steve Brule plus Bon Appetit. Wow. And all about fermentation. <laughs> I'm a huge Steve Brule fan. So there you go. It's like a real weird me- um, like uh, melding of those two ideas. And, and it's so on YouTube. It's on YouTube for free. It for free. It's alive. With Brad, I can't remember his last name, but I call him Brad Appetit. Cool. So, so that's my show. That's my endorsement. So I just saw this video. Actually, so Alric, who's a friend of ours, posted the DP that is going to shoot his movie or something, and I was like, "Who is this?" And I like went to his Facebook page, and he seemed pretty cool. And he posted this video that came out three weeks ago called "You Shoot Videos" by this filmmaker named Morgan Cooper never really heard of him and it's this 42 minute short film i i, I don't know if you're calling it short essay, film. maybe no, no it's like a narrative short it's a vimeo staff pick i see which it was not i don't think when i watched it like two days ago but i literally just started watching on my cell phone i was like went to pick something up and it wasn't ready and i had to wait and it's just about this kid in uh atlanta or it, no like so, somewhere else some not in LA or New York, 
just getting hired to make music videos and he has like a you know a mavic pro drone and he has like a Mm -hmm. a sony a7s and it's just about him trying to like work his way up in the film industry as this like kind of one-man band and he meets this guy on this music video i mean then it's like he's shooting these rap videos and the rappers are like insane and um they're like they're always like oh we'll pay you later you know when you send me the video i'll pay you the money and he meets like this guy on one of the videos that's super interested and he like has him be his assistant and it's i don't know just for anyone that makes any film stuff it was just super relatable it's kind of slow but it's like shot really beautifully the performances are nice and it's just about a person that's making music videos and trying to like break into the next level and as obvious as it sounds like it's something you know a lot of us have gone through i've never really seen a film that had done kind of like such an honest job of it so it's called it's called you shoot videos but it's the letter u not y-o-u and it's because like this guy, everyone's like, oh, you shoot videos, you know, he's like, sure, sure. I think people think of him as a videographer and he's like, I'm a director, you know? Yeah. But no one takes me seriously. So I don't know. It's really good. Sounds you shoot great. videos. It was on um, Vimeo. Okay. What do you guys get? Oh, um, so we've been watching this show on Amazon that um, I've really become very fond of. It's called Unbecoming a God in Central Florida. It's on Showtime. Oh, I'm Showtime. Sorry. Not Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Fleabag. I'm getting Fleabag in that. Those sure. have been my like female empowerment shows of late um, on Showtime. It's just been very cool to see a show that I feel like has the like 90s nostalgia, really beautiful like production design. It's really well shot, really well written. Um, so I've been getting super into that. Uh, and it's a period kind of yeah like it's, it's kirsten dunst yeah kirsten dunst in like the night you know oh yeah I think mid early 90s it's really good it's I really mean, I good liked, it's I, a, I watched the pilot with audrey i liked it a lot and it's on yeah. showtime mm-hmm. that's it's like showtime. three shows that if i get to four shows it might get me tip me into paying for showtime yeah I'm, you can sign up for that th- free 30 days that's they'll, what we're on they'll that's give you that just trial. like binge well, it really yeah. quickly get in the kidding is in there as well escape from danamora you guys yeah oh, we did man. watch escape from so yeah. yeah oh man benicio del toro is incredible he's incredible i mean everybody is yeah. yeah but um is it my turn yeah. yeah okay so i only found the whole time i was like trying to make this movie i only found one book one film book that was actually about scene transitions and it was called um, Between the Scenes, What Every Film Director, Writer, and Editor Should Know About Scene Transitions by a guy named Jeffrey Michael Bays. Um, <laughs> well, and, is that a pen name for somebody else? <laughs> I, I don't know. Just leave out the Michael, dude. Come I know, on. right? Just be Jeff Bays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get right Jeff to Bezos. it. You know? yeah, it must be harder to Google. But um, it was great. And it really sort of like changed the way that I watch movies. Is it and, like that shot by shot book where it's like, here's like one way you can do a transition and this is what it, it, it achieves? I think it starts more like what does a wide make you feel as opposed to what does a super tight make you feel? And then what does a long time between cuts make you feel as opposed to what do quick cuts make you feel? And that is how it begins. And then it just sort of talks you through like if you want to like like traditionally we start wide we come in close and that's how we end you know what i mean but like how do you want to leave the viewer feeling by the end of your scene or by the end of your sequence and these are the different tricks in which you can the tricks that you can employ to um to do that so cool. i found it very useful wow, that sounds between awesome. the scenes between the scenes i've yeah. never heard of it 
by yeah. Jeffrey Michael Bass. I think you just sold two copies. Yeah. It's, it, I have bought it for people. Is that, I, your, I is like that s- your pen name? It's, <laughs> I, I wrote it. Um, uh, no, but yeah, I've, I've bought it for a couple of people. It was like the, the, the most unique piece of film literature or whatever, like film instructional. Mm-hmm. Is it recent? Like, uh, no, it's, it's old enough that, you know, I, I found it while we were, before we made the movie, you know, and I've read the, it was like, um, you said like shot by shot, but then there's also like master shots, you know, those mm-hmm. books, people sure. know the master yeah, shot yeah, books, those are great. which yeah. are super fun, like tricks as well. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, wow, you move the camera like this. I feel like that. But I, this is the only one that I've read about like actual scene transitions and sequences. Oh, a piggyback on that is um, If It's Purple, Someone's Gonna Die, which oh, is a yeah. book that's so amazing. It's about color in film. Yeah. Oh, how yes. you can like subtle, subtly hint that's at like emotions. That's like the sixth sense stuff, right? Well, it's like, it's like purple means magic. So you notice in like movies like Harry Potter, there's a lot of like purple, like just subtly kind of like built. And green means mm-hmm. like envy. Envy and like evil. Like the poison, poison. is always green and like mm-hmm. the smoke coming out of something is green and like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of these like very subtle ways to kind of tell story that's not in the, you know, words that people are saying sure. yeah. or, you know. It's like the emotional properties of color. In exactly. Your yeah. And like it's it's parceled out by color. So each chapter is like thematic and it really has great examples. So you're like, oh, yeah, I get that. I know that. I know what you're talking about. Um, and it's really fun. Fun and it's something you can kind of just like open and flip mm-hmm, through. It's fun. not like you have to read it cover mm-hmm. to cover. Well, uh, I don't know who the author is, but if it's purple, books, someone's gonna die. Is what it's then I will buy and never read. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Put there them you on go. your shelf, and people will think, "Oh, it's this by guy. Patty Bellantoni." Oh. They'll, they'll think, "Oh, this guy hoards books." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what they think about me. Um, cool guys, thank you cool. so much. Thank you thank guys. You. Um, where can listeners learn more about you? Or your movie. Or your movie, yeah. Uh, well, the movie, you can watch Summer Night on iTunes. You can watch Summer Night on Amazon. Um, Voodoo, we'll- all the all the streaming services. Uh, and then we will probably make it an ancillary deal someone. Yeah, we'll make a streaming deal eventually, but we don't know where. Our Instagram, we do post our, um, you know, updates. Summer Night Movie, at Summer Night Movie. Cool. And what about you guys? Do you guys, are you on Twitter or Graham or any of that stuff or no? Not really. That's okay. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's 100% okay. Very okay. Yeah. Well, uh, um, if you guys ever need to promote something, just shoot us a, a note and we'll post it on uh, at Just Shoot It Pod across all social media. Thanks, guys. Of course. We rely on you. Yeah, yeah we'd you love go. to. But if you, if you want to have us back, we'll come back after our second movie. Oh, man. I love you. it. Yes. I love that. That would be so fun. Our $30 million yeah. action movie. Yeah. 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 Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> to 80 million. Yeah, yeah, to 80. 30 right. to 80. Let's not pigeonhole ourselves. Yeah. Um, well, if you want to hear about more uh, or check out any of the stuff that we talked about, you can check out our show notes at justshootitpod.com. Justshootitpod.com. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. Uh, our editor is John Luna. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazard. And thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye.